Welcome to this week's Energy Show. This week, we're going to talk about energy smart homes, not just energy efficient homes, but homes of the future in which our use and consumption and generation of energy is done in a coordinated way. We're going to talk about energy generation on the roof. We're going to talk about storage, battery storage, storage for the home, storage for your vehicle. And we're going to talk about smart usage of this energy and how it flows in the house from your roof to your storage unit, to the utility, and back and forth. It's not just energy efficiency. I think we've done a tremendous amount, and there's still more to do on energy efficiency. But we're going to talk about how all these technologies start to work together. And that's where we've got a really, really big opportunity going forward. Now, this is all being driven by big changes in the deployment of new technology. It's not just that the technology has been around. I mean, we've got great lithium-ion batteries for storage. We've got cheap solar panels. We've got heat pumps. We've got LED lights. But it's actually the fact that these technologies are now being deployed almost as standard features on homes. And whenever there's a retrofit done, people are always looking at putting solar, and now they're starting to think about storage. Obviously, LED lighting's going in everywhere. And a lot of people, when they're building their homes, they're making sure that there's at least a provision for EV charging stations in the garage. Kind of taking it a step further, I mean, here this is driven by the drought in California, but we're starting to talk about doing things that will improve our home's water use in terms of gray water recovery. And kind of the capstone of all this are control systems that are going to get all of these technologies to talk together. We'll talk about that more, and and this kind of relates to the new TLA called IoT. It's a three-letter acronym that stands for the Internet of Things. So everything's going to be controllable, and it's going to take us probably a dozen years or more before we get to that point where we can actually control them in an integrated way. So let's just start off. I'm I'm a a solar nut, as you know. Um, We're going to talk about rooftop solar and how that's getting deployed, and then we're going to talk about some of the other technologies and how they could all fit together. And I'm taking this from the perspective of... Anybody that's thinking about building a new home or architects that are out there that are thinking about how we're going to design this, it's going to be different than what we've done before. Old home design, you'd have this one or two story home, you'd have a central air conditioner, you know, that's a relatively new innovation over the last 20 or 30 years. You'll have a couple of fireplaces, maybe one decorative, you'll have a chimney for your fireplace, you'll have a chimney possibly for your heating system, you may have a vent for your hot water heater. But all of that, I think is going to change. And it's all driven by the changes in the way we generate and use electricity and the cost for that electricity. So rooftop solar and and solar in general is really the driving force behind making electricity cheaper, at least when you use it in your house. I'm not going to be so presumptuous to say that utility electric rates are going to continue to go down. But as anybody who's put in a rooftop solar system knows, they know that they can generate that electricity for a lot less than the utilities charge them. So what's happening with solar is it's going to continue to gradually get cheaper. I'm not looking at any dramatic declines like we had from like you know, 2008 to 2012 when solar panels became more common. But we're just looking at a gradual 5% decline per year of the cost of the complete system. The efficiency of solar panels hasn't really changed a tremendous amount. I mean, when I started 15 years ago, the average efficiency was around 14%. Right now, the average efficiency of solar panels is about 16%. Yes, you can go out there and you can buy solar panels that have 19 or 20 or even 21%, but they're really expensive. And if you've got room on your roof for a few other solar panels, oftentimes it's not worth that extra expense. But if you have a space-constrained roof, it's worth it. I don't see any tremendous, dramatic 
technology changes in solar cells or solar panels that are going to suddenly make them, you know, 40% efficient. I think the maximum theoretical efficiency of silicon is about 25. So no huge technological jumps that are going to mean to you, hey, I should wait for this new technology. The standard stuff that's in a glass encapsulant silicon with a frame, that's here and that's going to work and it's going to continue to work for 20 or 30 years. It's kind of like automobiles. I mean, we've been driving cars with gas engines for 120 years and yes, now we're finally transitioning to electric vehicles. But it's my belief that crystalline solar cells are going to be the most durable and expensive and efficient things that you're going to put on your roof. Now, what happens when we have a lot of cheap photovoltaic systems, when you're able to generate electricity for, you know, five or six cents a kilowatt hour as opposed to maybe 15 or 20 or 25 or more that utility is charging you. Well, what that's going to mean is it's really two things. One, it's great for the environment. We're going to be generating fewer greenhouse gases. It's much cleaner, less CO2 and less pollution that comes from burning fossil fuels. The other thing on the demand side is when something gets cheaper, we use more of it. So we're going to be using more electricity. It's really interesting to see what happens in society as electricity continues to get cheaper. You're going to use more. You're going to start heating your house with electricity rather than it used to be coal, then it was oil, now it's natural gas. You're going to be using electricity. Now, you're not going to just be running resistive heaters, not yet. We're going to be using heat pumps, air-to-air heat pumps or our ground source or water source heat pumps, and that's pretty efficient. And the good thing about heat pumps is basically they're air conditioners in reverse. So you put in a heat pump system and you get air conditioning for free. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But we're going to also start using other things in the house that generate, that use electricity. So you're going to switch from a natural gas dryer to an electric dryer. Your stoves are going to be electric, although my wife really likes a gas stove. Your hot water heater may be electric. And that's all going to happen when electricity continues to get cheaper. And it's actually quite a good way of balancing what the loads are out there. So rooftop solar, cheap cheap PV is going to make electricity cheaper. And it's going to mean we're going to use more electricity. Um, and we'll talk about more of that in a minute. Now, what other technologies that are out there for the home of the future? Well, solar thermal has always been a viable technology. And this is generally where you're heating water, heating hot water for use in the house. It's domestic hot water or DHW. Now, what's happening is PV is getting so cheap, photovoltaics are getting so cheap that often if it doesn't make sense to heat your domestic hot water with solar, you might as well continue to use natural gas. It's just way cheaper. Now, if you have an all-electric house and there are people that don't have natural gas in the house, those are cases where solar thermal systems, domestic hot water systems, make a lot of sense. And you can also take advantage of state rebates and the federal tax credit for that. So if you're heating your water with propane, propane delivery comes every month or two, or electric, then you should look at solar domestic hot water. Otherwise, probably doesn't pencil out for you. But what does pencil out is solar thermal for pool heating. If you've got a pool and you like the pool to be warm, you know, if you actually swim in it, it's way cheaper to put in solar pool heating system than heating your pool with natural gas or something else. I, I used to have a pool, and it would cost me like 25 to $50 a week in natural gas just to keep a small pool warm. Solar thermal works really well for that. So what about the other really big energy use in a home? It's probably the biggest single energy use is for HVAC, heating, ventilation, and air conditioning. Now, historically, you know, people have air conditioners and those are running always on electricity. And then people are heating their house, as I mentioned, with, with natural gas mostly. When we have cheap electricity, it makes a lot of sense to start using heat pumps 
for heating. You're going to have a heat pump for cooling the house, and then it's going to operate like an air conditioner. But you run that heat pump in reverse. You run that air conditioner in reverse. It's a heat pump. And you're able to heat a room or heat a number of rooms. So what's really an interesting innovation are these things called split system heat pumps. Very common in Asia, and now they're getting really common here. I'm seeing them crop up on new construction. I'm seeing them pop up a lot of times when people are renovating a home or adding in some rooms to the home. So basically, these are many systems. It's not one big system for the whole, you know, five or six room house. It, it might be two or three systems. One system that may be heating and cooling the upstairs and one system that may be downstairs. Or sometimes homes have three of these zones and each zone has its own mini system. And these mini systems are basically small compressors with fans that mount on a small pad. They're smaller than those big cubicles compressors that you see for air conditioners. They're like a third the size. They mount on the wall or they mount on a small pad. Then there's some coolant pipes and, and electrical wires that run to each of the air vents that are pushing out warm air in the winter and cool air in the summer. So these run on electricity. And although it's still a little bit more expensive than heating with natural gas, you get the cooling for free because you've got the same system. And they can be zoned. So the zoning is where it really becomes interesting. So you can just heat or cool the rooms that you happen to be in. So at night, you may just want to keep the bedrooms warm or cool, as the case may be, on a hot night. And during the day, you may just want to keep the living areas, maybe the kitchen, cool or warm and leave the rest of the house alone. And that way you're only heating and cooling certain zones and you use a lot less energy that way. I'm a big fan of those things. And right now, the way they're all operated is each one has its own little remote control. Newer systems are coming out with apps. There's an app for everything. And these apps can kind of control these things all in an integrated way. That's really, really cool. And you can basically, it's like a few steps beyond these internet thermostats where you can just kind of control a whole house once. This is a situation where you can control the individual zones that you're in. So we're talking about heating and cooling. Now, what about hot water heating? How is that going to change? Well, the cheapest way to heat hot water right now is with natural gas. But as electricity continues to get cheaper from rooftop solar, it's going to start making sense for you to put in, believe it or not, an electric hot water heater. And during the day, your solar may be heating up that electric hot water heater. Now, you can do that right now with a solar thermal system. It's complicated pumps fluids, heat exchangers, more maintenance. But in the future, you'll just be putting in a PV system. It's going to heat that water. And during the day, you heat it up. And then if you need to top it off at night, because people may take showers in the evening, you can easily do that. But that's a very elegant way to do it. You won't use natural gas. These heaters are going to be cheaper too, because they don't need venting to the roof. They're going to probably last longer because there's no combustion in there that's going to be creating any corrosion. Now, it's my belief that eventually we'll all have these electric hot water heaters. There's going to be tank heaters where you're heating water in a tank, and there may be some advantages to that because you may be able to heat that water when electricity is abundant and perhaps cheap for you during the day. But there's also the technology is called flash hot water heaters or tankless hot water heaters, and you can get natural gas flash hot water heaters and electric flash hot water heaters. I think what's going to happen is you're going to start seeing electric flash hot water heaters, and they may just pull a lot of power out of the lines immediately at the beginning. But once that water heats up, it, it kind of stabilizes. So that's a really good technology. Once again, you're eliminating a big expense in the house in terms of hot water tanks and gas piping and venting. All right, we're going to talk briefly about lighting. But as far as lighting goes, it's all LEDs, light-emitting diodes. In my view, the game is over for incandescents, for CFLs, and for halogen bulbs. I mean, 
everybody's moving towards LEDs. Even a lot of the LED companies are saying, gee, this is a commodity business right now. We can't make a lot of money. And LEDs went from $50 a bulb to $20 a bulb to 10 and now they're below 5 And, you know, you can get like three for 10 bucks. And the other good thing is that they make LEDs in all different colors. They're now dimmable and um, all different sizes of bulbs. I was very happy to finally find a, a three-way LED bulb to replace these three-way bulbs that we have in our bedroom fixtures that always seem to have two or three of their elements out. Now, so I think what's going to happen is that the only place where you're going to see incandescence in the future is to keep those french fries warm in your local burger joint. But other than that, it's all going to be LEDs. If you haven't done so already, you should replace your incandescent bulbs and your halogen bulbs. So a lot of the new bulbs that they've been selling right now are really little mini halogen bulbs inside a glass bulb. They're a little bit more efficient than ordinary incandescents. But they don't come close to LEDs. So start with the bulbs that you use the most, that are on the most, like in the kitchen, like the dining room, the hallways, and just replace those things now and then gradually replace everything else as they burn out. All right, let's talk about vehicles. Now that's a big change and it's going to have an impact on your home. The EVs are going to be the dominant form of transportation. They're cheaper, they're cleaner, they're more efficient, they're easier to operate. Yeah, the range isn't that good now, but the range keeps getting better and better as the batteries get cheaper and smaller and they have higher power density. Gas prices right now happen to be low. But we all know they're going to go up again. There's no doubt about that. But we know that electricity from solar is going to continue to go down. And what's going to happen is your plug in your garage and your utility is going to be the filling station of the future. And that's going to have an impact on what you do in your garage and your house because you're going to want to make sure that you have, I would say, two outlets in your house for EVs. And you also, if you're building a house, you might want to put in a bigger electrical system than has been historic. So that's just funny because we do lots and lots of installations in the Bay Area. And it used to be that the standard size of a house's electrical service was 100 amps or 125 amps. And then, you know, like 20 years ago, everybody started putting in 200 amp services. Now, All of the new construction, I mean, we're not talking about mansions. It's just like pretty much every home. They have 400 amp electrical services. Now, there's no way that the house could use 400 amps now. But in 10 or 20 years, they could. And when you think about using heat pumps and you have two EVs that are being charged up, those are situations in which you could actually benefit from that extra capacity. So if you are building a house, spend the money now to dig the trench to put in enough wiring for a 400 amp service. That's an easy decision. It's not going to cost you much more, but it'll cost you a small fortune if you want to do it five or 10 years down the road. Okay. We talked about vehicles, HVAC, solar. What about things that you can do to improve a home's water use? So because of the California drought, everybody's just scratching their heads trying to figure out how they can conserve even more. Our lawns are brown. We're not washing our cars as much. We've got buckets in the shower to collect the water in the morning or in the evening. So if you're in California, you know about the drought. If you're outside of California, you know, hey, you know, you just think we're crazy out here because there seems to be plenty of rain elsewhere. But right now it's a pretty big lack of water. So what can you do in a home to be more efficient in your water use? And one of the things that you can do is add extra plumbing features to recover what's called gray water. And gray water is water that comes from your shower or your tub or your washing machine that can be used to water lawns and plants. So the reason why the water is gray is there's a little bit of soap in there and, you know, maybe some um, debris from washing clothes and things like that. And you don't want to drink it. 
but it's not really, really bad water. This water may need filtering. It could possibly use some sterilizing, but it is reusable. Now, I mentioned it's a common habit in California right now to put like a, a five-gallon bucket in your shower to collect the water while it gets hot. It would be great if the shower had a, a separate set of plumbing that went to a gray water recovery system and not into the same drain and sewer that, that we're normally using. So that would be good. You can direct that water into a system that would also filter and sterilize it. You know, it would also be great, and these systems are out there, where you can put in a circulating pump to keep the hot water circulating throughout the house's hot water system. So when you turn on the shower, you don't have to wait five minutes for the water to warm up. You know, in my house, the hot water heater's in the garage, and all the way in the other house is the bedroom. So I turn the shower on in the morning, and the water's cold for like four or five minutes by the time that water kind of finally gets there. And so I put a bucket in there, and you know, I fill up like, looks like about four gallons before the water actually gets warm enough to take a shower. I'm too old to take a cold shower. It just doesn't work anymore. So you could install a domestic hot water pump. That's a good idea. There's a little bit of electricity used there. It's probably going to consume more energy because you're going to be losing more heat, but that's a possibility. But if I could, I would definitely install separate plumbing for my washing machine showers and tubs, do that gray water recovery. And I'd also consider installing cisterns to collect rainwater from the roof and use it for irrigation. Now, the term rain is unfamiliar to a lot of Californians right now, but it will rain in the winter again. And it does rain elsewhere, and the water that's coming down from your roof is pretty clean. You might have to filter it. But that water can definitely be used for irrigation instead of going into the storm drains. So let's talk about battery storage. Now here, lots, lots and lots of hype about battery storage. There's home battery storage. We've talked about that. Backup power in case of a blackout. But that's going to cost you $10,000 to power your key appliances. And it's not going to power them very long. You only have about a 2,000-watt output unless you put in multiple systems. And to me, it makes a lot more sense to put in a gas generator for like 500 bucks. So that may come down, but if you are building a house, put in a backup subpanel for your critical loads. Do that now, and that's a big expense, and you can eliminate that. So when you do want to put in a battery backup system, it's going to cost you a lot less. Now, the concept of storing your energy, the solar that you generate during the day for use at night, requires batteries. But then those batteries are going to cycle a lot every day. Batteries right now and for the near future are going to cost too much for that cycling. The cycling wears them out. It's just not economically feasible right now. The other thing is the utilities really don't want you to generate power during the day and sell it back to them at night or buy power at night and sell it to them during the day. So there aren't good tariffs and electric rates that are going to be good for that. So the only place where it really makes sense for you right now to store your daytime solar energy for nighttime uses if you're completely off-grid. You off-grid people already know how to do that, and there's lots of good systems for that. But there will be, and there's a big demand, for utility-scale battery storage. And this is these are storage systems. They might be the size of one of those 20 or 40-foot cargo containers that are filled with batteries and control systems that can provide local storage at a utility substation. So it might be for a neighborhood or for a commercial area that once in a while sees a really big peak load and the utility doesn't want to put in the capacity to generate that peak load. They don't want to put in extra turbines for that. So they'll just pull some power out of local batteries. It makes a lot of sense to do that locally too because then you eliminate a lot of the distribution expenses there. Now, the problem is the utilities really haven't figured out a way to incentivize consumers to soak up that extra power, to actually let consumers use their batteries, their batteries that might be in cars, their home battery systems, to help the utilities meet those extra loads or balance those power needs. So this is 
This is one of those big challenges in terms of uh, public utility commission tariffs to figure out how to incentivize the utilities to pay consumers for their battery storage use. Now, it'd be great if the utilities could once in a while suck power out of the battery in your car when there's kind of an emergency or a brownout situation. They would love to be able to turn off your car's charger really hot, sunny afternoons, but the incentives aren't there yet for that. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But those are all big opportunities. And, you know, the thing that I really like is the biggest batteries that we've got are basically rolling batteries in our cars. So we will have to figure out a way instead of putting in stationary battery systems in the garage to actually connect in the car's batteries to maybe get charged from solar during the day or provide some discharging capabilities during the day or in the evening when the the loads peak. So that takes us to the last trickiest topic, and that's control systems. Now, it's funny how the whole concept of control systems evolves. First of all, we get smart devices, and everything's going to be smart. It's the Internet of Things. It's cheap to put in a little chip that can communicate wirelessly to everything. So your thermostat, your smoke detector, your locks, your refrigerator, your solar, your car, everything is going to have, everything already has chips in it. They they can now talk. Now, the thing is that we now have apps that talk directly to these devices. So there's an app that can probably talk to your home heating system. There's an app that can talk to your car. There's an app that can talk to your solar. There's an app that can talk to your appliances, your light bulbs. But now the challenge is to find a way to get all those apps talking together so we can actually manage the devices together. So that's kind of the next big step. So the Internet of Things goes to this whole concept of home communication of all the devices. And we're not there yet. It's a big problem to solve. But once we solve that problem, we've got another big opportunity, and that's to try and find a way for the utilities to participate in that communication. And the reason why that's so important is the home or the businesses are consumers of a lot of energy and power. They're also generators. They have solar. And they're also storage batteries. They have storage batteries where there's, there's these storage batteries may be taking power from the grid, but sometimes the utility may say, hey, can I you know, tap you electronically on the shoulder? And the utility would say, hey, there's a low voltage situation or there's a power spike. Can we actually pull power out of your battery, out of the battery in your car? Can we pull power out of the battery in your commercial building? So that's a big opportunity once all these devices are communicating together. The challenge is that utilities like their current business model and haven't figured out how to incentivize businesses and consumers to share in this energy generation and storage concept. That's a big opportunity, and that's something that we can strive towards. It's going to take like a dozen years because utilities really have to change their motivations and say, hey, we can really be more supportive to the community in general if we're actually supporting some of these two-way power flows. And most importantly, the utilities have to be motivated from a financial standpoint to both pay you as the storage or the generator the fair value for the services that you're providing. And right now, the utilities like to charge just for electricity, but they haven't figured out really how to charge you for generation properly or for storage. So that's about it. My conclusion is the energy intensity of home is going to continue to go up. We're going to use more energy. It's going to be better for our lifestyle. It's kind of an inexorable change as civilization advances. And we're going to be shifting from centralized generation to kind of a web of generation, storage, and usage. And it's all going to be managed by smarter control systems that talk together. 
So that's all we've got for the show this week. Thanks to all of our listeners for joining us today. And if you missed any of today's show, you can always go to our website at cinnamonsolar.com and listen to the podcasts. 